Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. It is Office Hours with me, David Meltzer, and I have an incredible co-host coming on with me, Rob Gill. But before he gets here, I want to introduce a friend of mine. Christopher Willis is here, managing partner at Latitude Caribbean, the latitudeworld.com. Welcome to Office Hours, Chris. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you for being here. Well, you know, in the world of taxation uh, and in the world of politics, one of the most prominent critical business issues is relocation, but not relocation to different states necessarily, but in an international aspect and residency uh, is also a critical component of that analysis. I have many friends of mine that have dual residencies and different types of uh, purchases that have also allocated um, different interests into different countries around the world. Uh, where exactly uh, did Latitude fall into this new found realm of uh, not only stability, but also wealth? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, we focus on, you know, providing residence and citizenship solutions, you know, for private clients, because, you know, it's not necessarily a new phenomenon. I've, I've been doing this work for 26 years. And, um, you know, it's become more relevant in the United States in the last three or four years. I think what happened was a lot of Americans were spooked when the travel ban was in place during the pandemic. And so they realized they weren't prepared. So they needed to have another option. So combine that with other push factors they may be feeling in the United States, they want to make sure they either have a backup plan, a non-traditional insurance policy, whatever you want to call it. They're looking to have an option elsewhere outside of the U.S. Just in case things go a little bit sideways or not to their liking, they want to make sure they have somewhere to go when they've got the necessary status to stay there for as long as they need. And, you know, when I refer people to you guys, it's usually under the context of, why not, if you can afford it, to have different options, opportunities, and touches of favor? And I simplify it in that realm, uh, by investment, uh, different tax havens and, and, and opportunities that exist, as well as, like you said, a sense of security, uh, whether it be for health reasons, political reasons, socioeconomic factors that exist, there's a variety of uh, different components in that ROI. Where do you see the trends? Is it in citizenship by investment or are there other vehicles as well that people utilize in order to take advantage of the Latitude Group's capabilities? Yeah, there's, there's two main areas. Um, you know, the buy investment is what we, we specialize in. And we're seeing a lot of interest in uh, places like Malta, uh, because when you invest in Malta and you acquire your citizenship, usually takes about 18 months. Uh, Maltese citizenship is part of the European Union. So suddenly you've now got the settlement rights across all the European member states. So that's a very powerful proposition for a lot of people. Conversely, you've got options in the Caribbean where you can also make direct applications for citizenship. Um, it's much quicker, it's less expensive, but it's not the same, um, it doesn't have the same oomph, let's say, as a, uh, as a European passport. On, on the flip side, there's also residence programs in places like Portugal, Spain, and Greece, which are also extremely popular because there's an element of lifestyle that people are happy to enjoy. 
also in the Caribbean, you know, it's familiar to many people, you know, it's an hour's flight from, uh, from, from Miami and you're, you're in the Caribbean. Um, but it, it allows people knowing that they can stay there. And I'll give you an example. I mean, during the pandemic, um, you know, someone may have had the nicest home in Jumbi Bay in Antigua and Barbuda, and they wanted to go hang out there during the pandemic, but just thought I'll come in as a visitor and they were turned away because the islands closed their borders, you know, to protect their, their nationals from the pandemic. So without the proper status, you can't get the full benefits. And this is where, as I mentioned earlier, people weren't prepared. So they said, I've got to add this element to my portfolio to make sure I've covered all the bases. I brought in Rob Gill as my co-host. Welcome, Rob Gill. He's the founder of Epic Financial Strategies. And I want him here with the guest lineup that we have today because his expertise is in wealth and legacy building. And that wealth is different than, you know, being rich, for example. Uh, Rob, what's been your experience in uh, the different realms of residency, uh, building wealth and security and stability? And what questions do you have for Chris? Well, I mean, listen, I think that, as you know, David, wealth is a mindset, which I've recently discovered, I guess, in the last couple of years, um, more than it's about money, right, or, or um, liquidity or, you know, obviously money gives us the ability to do what we want in a way that if we don't have it, we can't do. However, um, I think from a legacy perspective, if you're building wealth and it's really about truly making the world a better place, and I mean that as best as you can, um, if you if you have the good fortune of being that person that builds that wealth and it's family wealth and it's generational and you want to do tax avoidance strategies and everything else, Chris is hearing something about you know the way the relocation and, and all the different things from from what you're bringing to the table. It's like you know every time I'm around people that are above my frequency, I kind of consider that this conversation. It's like wow that that that's also part of the wealth plan. Um, how how many people actually understand? And I'm not asking for a number, but like just conceptually, like what you're actually talking about, and what you offer. I don't, this is like really the first time I've I've gotten deep into this kind of conversation, which I found. Yeah. And thank you, David. Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's I mean, the United States hasn't traditionally been a major source country for these types of programs. You know, for people coming from countries that have very, very uh, little visa-free travel. So if you were from South Africa, from Nigeria, from Pakistan, for example, it's very different. You can't travel many places visa-free. So as an American, you sort of take it for granted. You can hop on a plane and pretty well go anywhere in the world, right? So for those people, they have a different motivation or different push factor. And so for the American, their motivations are very different. You touched on legacy, um, you know, not necessarily for, um, you know, investment and, and such, but for family, you know, citizenship is for life. So if you're making an investment, you're passing this on to your kids. In some cases, you can include a sibling or a parent. So you're giving opportunities to these family members that maybe you didn't realize you could do. So a big part of what we've been doing is education in the United States to make people aware that these programs exist and what the benefits are. Well, and Dave, can I ask a quick follow-up to that? Like, the yeah, other side of that? So, yeah. like, you know, I have some folks that work here with me that um, that are first-generation American. However, parents came from a third-world country that have a bunch of cousins, sisters, uncles, and brothers that in those other countries, because, I, you know, proximity is power and, and everything has a map. If you understand where you are on the map and certain little things along the way, do you guys also educate on how do people, how could people get citizenship in a, in a process sort of way from from a third world country to here? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many different immigration categories. So we focus mainly on by investment, but we also have another division that deals with citizenship by descent. So mm -hmm. somewhere like New York, for example, lots of Italians, lots of Irish, right? And many of them may have claims to citizenship in those countries, but don't realize it. Right. So yeah. again, we're talking to them saying, hey, if you've got a grandparent or a parent and you can show your lineage, you may not have to go through an investment route. You may get it purely through through your ancestral links. So that's one angle. As it, it relates to inbound to the United States, as I mentioned, there's a variety of different uh, programs, including family reunification and such. But in, in third world countries, you know, when I use the example of, of countries that have very, um, very weak visa-free privileges, these are the ones where, you know, it has a greater impact, let's say, on their lives because they're, they know that they want to travel, but they can't be spontaneous. They're hanging up their passport tied up at embassies and all that type of thing. So somewhere like Pakistan, for example, as a Pakistani citizen, you can travel to 39 countries visa-free. Right. If they got economic citizenship in the Caribbean, for example, that suddenly jumps to 157. Right. Including the Schengen area, Singapore, UAE, UK, etc. So it's, it's life changing for a lot of these people. And so the American, you've also got many people on a green card. So maybe they came from Venezuela. They're now in the United States on a green card or a different type of visa. But yeah. when they want to travel, they're still traveling on the Venezuelan passport. So it's a great way to sort of double up. They can still enjoy their lifestyle living in the United States, but again, enhance their freedoms by getting a second citizenship to complement that. Understood. And Chris, real quick, before I let you go, we're going to bring Robin on. Um, what type of budget does it take, you know, when someone comes to you and said, look, I want to use a tailored residency or citizenship solution in order to effectuate the security opportunities, options, touches of favor, what mm -hmm. range or ballpark are we talking in order for someone to be able to afford to do this? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I mean, in the Caribbean, it starts about 100,000 US is the investment. And then you've also got due diligence fees, government fees, passport fees, professional fees, etc. on top of that. Um, but that can go as high as about a million euro if you're looking at Malta. But again, it's a different proposition. You're talking Caribbean citizenship versus European Union citizenship. So, you know, there's an element of you get what you pay for, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's that, that comes into it. At the greater extreme, places like Austria, which has a citizenship by merit program, you're looking north of 3 million euro is what your investment would be. So there is an enormous uh, scope of what can, uh, you know, what investments would be needed. And this is a big part of what we do with our initial consultation is understanding the motivations and needs of the client, what their time scales are, their budgets and their objectives. And then we can guide them on what program would be most suitable. And there's multiple programs, multiple, but there's nobody that knows more about it for the last 10 years. Christopher Willis is doing this. If you're at all interested, he will give you a consultation to figure out what best tailored program would be best for you and be able to articulate the quantitative value to exceed what it costs, because that's the main criteria that I put on everything. Latitudeworld.com. Chris, please join us again. Thank you for your insight. And uh, I still am figuring out what tailored program. Right now, it looks like I'm stuck coming to New Jersey and living at Rob's house. But as soon as I can <laughs> afford uh, those euros, I'm coming over to Malta. That's for sure. I'll be there uh, in a few weeks speaking. So I'm going to check it out. Wow. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. Thank you, Rob. All the best. Nice to meet you, Chris. Thank you. All right, man, there's so many things that we don't know that we don't know that can have life-changing impacts uh, as we have more opportunities and options. I would say money doesn't buy you happiness, but it certainly allows you to shop. And uh, that's something that several people may want to shop to as a profit center or just a security blanket. Both are aligned with objectives, and that's why I want Chris on. But we're in for a treat now, Rob. 
we have the female version of Rob, Robin. And Robin Grable is in the house, CEO of Talents Ascend and founder of the Ascend Collective. Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you so much, Dave. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure. I have you on because, and Rob will get this right away. Uh, I have so many people that call me about transitioning, uh, mm. transitioning occupations, what occupies us. And, you know, I don't like the term at all. Uh, I am someone who has expanded into all types of different injuries, careers, and jobs, and investments, and continue to do so. And it's based off of three things. Uh, I have always looked internally to evolve the skills that I have, the knowledge of who and what, and my desire. And I'm constantly trying to increase or expand my skills, my knowledge, and my desire. And what I've found through the last 35 years of doing this is that as much as athletes uh, will not look at the expansion of their skills, knowledge, and desire, which are at a level of excellence that most people would dream of having in a corporate environment or a business environment, even more impressive is veteran and military spouses uh, in the skills, the knowledge, and the desires that they have. And to be able to leverage those uh, is, I think, a very huge opportunity, especially in the United States, because of our system of developing those skills, knowledge, and desire, that not only are we missing out, but we're actually utilizing it as a detriment because these extraordinary people are being thrown away to the side and represent a huge component of our homeless problem, of our mental health problem, because being ignored from their talents. And so I wanted to have you on because you are an expert, especially at Talents Ascend, of recognizing this, but also doing something about it. Give us an idea of what you're doing about this huge opportunity that we have in that instance. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate you having me on and asking this very important question because it is a, it is a tragedy here in the U.S. for our veterans and military spouses who serve our country in uniform. Our spouses may not wear the uniform, but they certainly serve our country in, in you know, protecting and supporting their service members. Um, and, you know, people don't all often think about it. Less than one percent of our population serves in the military. We have an all volunteer force right now. Fifty three percent of those service members will choose to get out of the military because their spouse cannot get gainful employment to support their families. Think about that in national security terms. Who's going to step up and fill those positions, fill that security for our country? So it is a major problem. What we're doing is bringing skills to the forefront and letting people know veterans have skills, immense skills. And guess who paid for that training for those veterans to get those skills? The taxpayers. And yet we're not taking advantage in a good way of bringing those veterans into companies with their leadership, their resiliency, their learning agility. Um, and just all the things that they problem solving, innovation, just all the things that they bring military spouses as well. When you think about a military spouse and all they go through moving every couple of years at the drop of a hat, sometimes they're they're stationed somewhere and they get noticed two weeks later that they're moving somewhere else. And they've got to pack up the house. They've got to deal with the kids, the doctors, all of these things, the logistics of all of those things. They bring those skills, problem solving, thinking outside of the box to uh, you know companies 
But the problem is we don't know how to connect with them. We don't know how to find them. We don't know how to look at what they did in the military. I experienced this when I got out of the Navy. I had nine years of experience in computers. No one could figure out how to translate that into civilian careers. And I had to start over. Um, we don't want that to continue to happen. And it is to, still continuing to happen uh, today. Getting those transferable skills. If you look at, we use the example very often, infantry. Most people say if you're an infantry, all you can do is security work after you get out of the military. But if you look at the actual job skills that someone earns in the, in the infantry role, there's equipment maintenance, operational planning, statistics, logistics, supply chain, HR. There's so much more that those veterans and military spouses bring to the table that companies are missing out on. Mm, wow. <laughs> I could go on. Rob. No, yeah, yes. I, I have a, my first question that stands out though, because, you know, um, thank you for sharing, by the way. And, and I think you're right about everything you said, but you had nine years of experience with computers, right? If, if, if you went back to that moment in time right now, even though there wasn't a job available for that, what would you try and do now that you know what you know? That, that's a question that I have. Yeah, now that I, and by the way, thank you for your service. By the way, thank you so much for your service. Let me just be real clear about that. Thank you. My yes, my honor. It was a, it was certainly an honor and a privilege to wear the uniform. I'm very proud of that. So, yeah. um, you know, if I had to go back and do it again, I, I would have looked for more resources. I wouldn't have just taken the one or two people that I, you know, talked to when I got out of the Navy. And of course, I was 27 years old when I got out of the Navy and I'd, I've been serving in the military for nine years. I could do anything. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what happens to a lot of veterans, too. We're, we're used to, you know, just saying we'll figure it out. And, and so I said, you know, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll go to a staffing agency and get a job as an administrative assistant or, you know, a low level um, tech position and, and I'll work my way back up. I would have questioned it more. And that's what we want veterans and military spouses today. Don't settle for somebody telling you, you have to fit into this box that doesn't value you for your skills just because that's the only thing you can get. It is not the only thing they can get. So I would go back and question it more um, and stand up and say, wait a minute, I, I just served in the military for nine years. I have all these skills that I learned. I can do more. And is that still present right now? Like with a lot of folks in the middle, even to this day, it with, is with, unfortunately with the internet and everything else. It's a lot better, certainly. And the military, the DOD certainly has a better transition assistance program today. I didn't go through a transition program that they have today. So there's a lot more resources and there are a lot more veteran service organizations today. The problem is finding the one that can help you specifically, right? There's so many out there. So it, it's really about networking and, and asking prior military, finding that, you know, that family again, that, that group. Um, so, but it, it is still happening. The catalyst for us to creating Talents Ascend in 2013 was that I met an Army veteran's wife who said her husband had been out for six months, could not get an interview. 25 years after I got out of the Navy, it was still happening. 9-11 had happened. All of these things to bring awareness to what veterans bring to the table, it was still happening. And it still happens today because we're not, we won't break out of the traditional resume model of trying to make people fit into a box instead of the employer saying, here's mm -hmm. the skills that I need. Who has those skills? Step up. 
and and then not filtering them out because so the resume so the resume they don't get past the front door of the resume is what you're saying absolutely now i understand wow Dave, that's biggest barrier yeah and i and i see the who so when i look at skills in the duality and in knowledge that's needed they're extremely knowledgeable way more than people that have graduated college or graduate school but they feel or are inhibited by the who knowing who uh and one of the things that i see there's great resources in, you know, just as much as an Ohio State alumni or a Texas alumni where you can source opportunity because you went to a certain school uh, is a military alumni. And they're looking because they understand these critical business issues of the skills and knowledge. So even the inhibitor of, hey, I just don't know anyone in that space, career, job that is dissolved uh, with that alumni. And that's why Ascend is so important because not only are they a skills-based sourcing, but they're knowledge-based sourcing, not just of what you know in those skills, but who actually is running big business today that have served our country or have been a spouse uh, as well. And so, uh, Robin, keep doing what you're doing as much as you were a service for nine years, ever since you've left the Navy uh, you founded five years ago, Ascend, you're continually being of service even to more people. Thank you for the options, opportunities, and touches of favor. You provide capitalistic uh, entrepreneurs like Rob and I. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without the freedoms that you've provided us. We'll have you back on. Robin Gable, CEO of Talents Ascend, founder as well as Ascend Collective. Go to talentsascend.com or theascendcollective.org. She's an extraordinary speaker author, entrepreneur herself, as well as being a hero. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Robin. We'll see you soon. All right, our cleanup hitter. This man has courage, but we're going to talk about, as you know, Rob, my favorite topic with him feeling. He's the author of All Pride, No Ego. Uh, ego is not your amigo, as you know. All Pride, No Ego. Um, uh, I don't know if Mikey's sleeping, but I, I'm going to bring in. There we go. Uh, hey. <laughs> Hi, Jim. How are uh, you? I'm fantastic. And, uh, you know, your book really uh, is intriguing to me because I spend most time with executives. And yes. from the chairman of Golf Oil to Eros Entertainment to Senedex and Verb and just, you know, beyond the entrepreneur, I deal with. Uh, all pride and no ego, not quite in the realm that, that you are, but it is in the realm because mm -hmm. no matter how we define it, whether it's a queer executive's journey to living and leading authentically, uh, you can replace the word queer with poor or worthy, wh whatever yeah. they identify themselves as. And it, yes. it's cool, but it's all pride, no ego, because the fear that exists in the realm of ego that separates us, that creates superiority and inferiority, whether it's height, weight, school, or our own preferences uh, that we choose in the freedoms of America. It's a call to action mm -hmm. as a servant leader in order to effectuate the awareness of actually fear. And so I wanted to start there uh, yeah. with your book because obviously you deal with something that, you know, wh whether it's your sexual preference or your identity, every leader deals with fear and we have yeah. to learn how to clear the fear. And that's what your book seems to be about for me. 
No, I, I think it's a, it's a great point, David. And thank you so much for having me. And Rob, it's nice to meet you. Um, it, it's, I think in leadership, to your point, regardless of what your background is or your story is, we all deal with fears and insecurities. And there's moments, no matter where you are or how experienced you are, that things get brought up, maybe sometimes from your deep, dark past or mistakes you made previously, or even things from childhood, which is what I talk about in my book, that inhibit your ability to bring your full authentic self and your best version of yourself to that environment. And I think, particularly today, I think leadership is so hard right now with mm. the global economic situation the coming out of the pandemic or still being in the pandemic, depending on what day it is, right? I mean, the political situation, you know, a, a basically dysfunctional Washington, D.C. political situation. Like, you know, my, my first learning in my book, David, is control the controllable, but leave space for the possible, right? And I think I think that's a huge part of being a leader today is what are you actually in control of? Because you have to get your ducks in line on that so that you can react to all the things that you're not in control of. And I think that's where the servant leadership, authentic leadership comes mm -hmm. up is knowing yourself, admitting your vulnerabilities, admitting your fears and insecurities, and then overcoming them to move your team forward, to move your business forward. Um, because we don't have a choice to just be frozen. We, you know, we have to keep moving right. forward. Rob. Yeah. Listen, Dave, thank you for the first question for uh, Jim. Thank you yeah. so much. Uh, control, we control, but leave space for what's possible. Amazing. Yeah. And you know what? You know, things do pop up out of nowhere. It's crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, my book is almost done surviving success. You know, we're editing, you know, we're getting down to the oh, final yeah. edits. And I had to relive certain experiences in 1973. I was three years old and my mom, you know, I'm from New Jersey, went to a place called Carrier Clinic because she had a nervous breakdown. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic since 1996, sober 27 years. And my first five, six, seven years was trauma that I didn't even realize yes. existed, right? And I was reliving all this stuff as I'm writing a book. And it's just, it's just put me in a different space. Mm -hmm. And to your point, it's as I'm doing this, it's got me on like my, I'm not, I'm not steady right now the way I normally am, mm -hmm. you know, as I'm working through this and it's an interesting time in my life and you just hit the nail on the head. Thank you for that. Really? Um, no, I mean, I love that you own that. Right. I yeah. mean, that's the authenticity and, and you know what, it's okay to live in it for a while, Rob, and yeah. feel, feel the feels as I say, and, and, you know, work on it yourself. But also I talk a lot in my book about, talk to other people about it. Right. Yeah. I think, I think share the vulnerability, whether it's a professional person or just close friends or family, I think it just makes us more human. I think, yeah. you know, servant leadership, authentic leadership makes us human. Right. And I think that's what we are is we're humans and, and we're not perfect. Yeah. And we have good days and we have bad days. We have good months and we have bad months. Yeah. And, and, I think a lot of people think because we ascend to a certain level, right? Like, you know, oh, I was a president or I was a CEO or you get to that title that you've got it nailed. And it's like, I don't have it any more nailed than you do. Like, yeah. but I probably just learned how to maybe control it a little bit better. And yeah. I've learned how to harness my talents and use my talents appropriately. But yeah, I think that generational trauma you're talking about, mm. stuff from when you were a child, you know, for me, it manifested, you know, in the boardroom. 
you know, when I would have a bad board meeting, it would manifest insecurities. By the way, congratulations on your sobriety journey. I'm, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. I talk about it in the book. My mom was an alcoholic. Yep. Yep. And, and that those feelings of insecurity and not being able to control a situation, not being able Mm. to control the disease manifested itself during a board meeting. Right. And it, and I, it shocked me. Like I, I literally felt like an eight-year-old kid again. And and <laughs> had to pull, yeah, and I had to yeah, and I had to pull myself out and yeah. be like, no, you're the CEO, you need to manage this situation in the boardroom, <laughs> and then go deal with put that on a shelf and then go deal with those emotions later. But yeah. um, but it it's real, it comes up. You can't always control when those feelings come up. Mm. No, and I think every human being has those experiences. You've been the president of Disney stores worldwide, like yourself, in extraordinary positions like Rob and I. But what's so interesting is I wrote called Compassionate Capitalism, one of the books, and talking mm. about servant leadership. And originally, with my mentor, Blaine Bartlett, was talking about the service and the compassionate capitalist side of it. But in the end, what I realized talking to you gentlemen is there's another type of servant leadership that goes beyond the economic, capitalistic, compassionate side of things to create sustainable solutions and to have equality and equity of pay and all the great things that we can. Mm-hmm. There's an idea in the inspirational, which you deal with in your book, um, by the way, which I really like, and it's the inspirational side of being a servant, which what I mean is by being vulnerable and authentic, by liberating ourselves with the light of, you know, for, for me, my childhood trauma, I have energetic and genetic inheritances that have created interference between me and my potential, whether I was CEO of Samsung's phone division or running Lee Steinberg, the most notable sports agency. And it manifested itself into my personal and professional life. And knowing Rob Gill, as I do very, very well, you know, liberating his light has allowed other people to liberate their light. Um, And especially, you know, when we're talking about sexual preferences, we've come a long way of liberating people's light. And and I want to, you know, really uh, finish with how important was it for you, you know, I know it was for Rob to say that he's sober, to liberate his light. Mm -hmm. I know in my own personal life as well, but be able to liberate as a key executive of one of the most well-known companies in the world. Yeah. You were able to liberate your light. Did you see the servant leadership aspect in the inspirational of letting other people liberate their light as well? A hundred percent, David. I mean, I think it's almost like my life, you know, my, my career has these two parts where it's, you know, I started my career in the closet living, which many of your listeners and viewers did, especially in the eighties. And I, when I came out, and decided to come out not only professionally, but personally to my family and my friends and everybody else. I know that I became a better leader because not, not necessarily because I became a better leader, but I became a better person. Let's be clear. I was more authentically what I was meant to be. I was born this way. Nothing happened to me. I wasn't recruited. I wasn't trained. And once I learned to embrace my truth and embrace my authenticity and not think I was broken and not think that I was wrong, I know that I became more successful as a leader, but also, as I said, as a person, as a brother, as a son, as a friend, as a partner. And then it flipped, to your point, the inspirational of like, I need to help other people embrace their lights, whatever that is, because it's it's all their lights. So 
if if they've if they've been recovering from an addiction, if they were if they were a foster child, if they were you know if they uh, were from a poor family that didn't get to go to college, like whatever their story is, I needed them to embrace it because people if people are hiding significant chunks of themselves because they think it's not right or it's not going to be accepted or they're going to be marginalized because of it, mm. then then you're not bringing your best to work. And I switched from, okay, now as I embrace, I go on my journey and I embrace my authenticity. I want to create environments that are safe and respectful and empowering where other people can do that. And I, and I tell a story and I loved, by the way, I tuned in and I loved listening to the veteran discussion before this, because that is, there's authenticity in that a hundred percent, right. In those stories and in the spouses, um, you know, but when when I was managing at Fox, one of the most authentic stories I had was I had a, a mom, a single mom of four who had gotten a divorce, who had four young kids in a variety of preschool and daycare who had to leave the work every day, had to leave the office every day at 430 because of her daycare situation. Right. And this is before pandemic and hybrid and remote and all that. And it caused some issues on the team, like, you know, because some people thought I was playing favorites. Right. Or that she got a different work rule than everybody else. And I love the fact that in our environment, in one of our team meetings, she was able to say, I want to explain why I leave every day at 4.30. Like, I want to tell my story. It completely changed. That was her authenticity. I am a single mom of four with four kids under the age of 10. I'm doing this on my own. I can't afford help. That's why I leave at 4.30. And that does not mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I don't work hard. It doesn't mean I won't give you my best, but I have to do that. And that was her authenticity. And it completely changed the work culture completely. Yeah. It sounds like she controlled the narrative too, right? Like they, 100%. I mean, they able to do that and yeah. not have people speak for you. And I think that's a big thing as well. It is about owning your own narrative for sure. Yeah. yeah. Which is a, the reason you know, for me, for the book, is this, it's a call to action. You know, it and is. You, you have this vulnerability, servant leadership position and, if you want, no matter what your own authenticity is, I call it your essence. Totally. Uh, your essence, your skills, your knowledge, and your desires in life, personal and professional, all pride, no ego, it's going to get you there. It'll allow you, liberate you and others uh, to pursue your own potential and to feel comfortable in your mm. own skin and allow other people to feel the same way. Jim, thank you for providing us such thank great you. work. And uh, we'll have you back. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate your time. Jim, thank you so much for your heart and energy, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. Nice meeing you guys. See you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. All right, Mr. Gill, it is uh, that time, day of the day. Number one, I'm so grateful that you joined me. Uh, It's big shoes to fill when you're coming in for Blaine Bartlett. So Rob Gill always being perspective that is uh, very, very valuable to everyone. He's that... uh, grounded force in my life and he reminded me hey man you got to talk uh the level that people understand it's great that you think you understand things if nobody else understands you it's good so that rob's my litmus test he'll tell me i have no idea what you just said but it sounded super good i'm trying to figure it out anyway what's your takeaway for the day wow uh for, i heard effectuate a couple of times i love the word effectuate when you start going when you start dancing everyone goes like this and i'm like i wonder if he knows what this everyone's like this you should watch all the tapes but um i think that you know listen you know all three people that i that i was able to speak with unbelievable common denominator of heart centered right 
um, leading with, you know, how they want to make the world a better place. You know, like, like the last gentleman, Jim, you know, I, I can't imagine how hard it is to not only come out, but also be able to identify some, some early wounds when you're in the boardroom. I relate to that right now. What's happening in my world. Like, like when he said that, that's, I'm the guy running around like a three-year-old with a butcher knife. Right. Like, because, and, and it's, and I think it's come up because of what I've been doing right now. Like I'm, I'm tapping into like things that I wasn't really aware that I didn't fix. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So, uh, military, you know, the, the, the woman in the military, nine years of being in computers and then can't get a job in that field and didn't know how to ask the right questions, you know, when it first happened, like didn't even know that there was a way to kind of stand up for yourself and think that was me too at some point. Right. Um, on some level. And, you know, the gentleman that's creating the citizenship, I was, I was really, I was asking a question about that because, you know, politics aside, like when you hear about all the people coming through and coming in illegally, it's my question is why, like, how come there's not a different system for that? Right. Like, and I'm sure there's really good answers that I'm not aware of, but is there like a map, a strategy on on how to do that to create, you know, a better version of what that could look like. And that's where my mind was taking me as well as if you create generational wealth, how you can take advantage of citizenship. Like there's so many really cool things that you have and do in your world and your Rolodex and, and how you serve so it's always an honor and thank you for the opportunity. I really needed it. So I'm, I'm super grateful. Well, we love having you anywhere we can find you. And I'm always here to help liberate uh, light as one of my 1,000 and to empower 1,000 to empower 1,000. You're changing the world one person at a time. I appreciate it. For me, my, my takeaway, you know, one was just it really hit me home. Because when I wrote my first book, my whole life changed the same way as this. It, mm-hmm. I, I blacked out things. Right. And, you know, through the process of writing it, I'm like, holy shit, you know, I, I I was traumatized at nine, right, abused at nine. And to protect myself, I just completely blacked it out. Mm. Didn't re- it didn't reveal itself again until I was writing my book. And so I was so crazy. focused in on the bankruptcy and, you know, all the things that I've already processed. I, I didn't realize all these other things that had occurred in. Uh, for me, the, the, the takeaway is simply to look within. Mm. You know, we can't control, we can, can't control the pandemic or the economy or the interest rates, you know, or any other things. Even what other people do, there's a huge gap between who I am, my skills, my knowledge, and my desire, and who I want people to think I am. And I'm focusing in on my mindset of who I am, my heart set of who I am, and my hand set of what I do considering man and i'll figure out determined upon what's existing outside of me what outside of me is interfering with who i am and i don't have to worry about what other people think about my sexual preference or my bankruptcy or abuses and traumas addictions i don't care I know that i am and i'm going to figure out what i'm doing to interfere with the better I am each day and surrounding myself with the right people and the right idea, like our three friends today, with Chris, Robin, and Jim, and especially my co-host, Rob, that's putting me in the right trajectory by surrounding myself with the right people and the right ideas. Thank you for helping me be the best that I am. Rob Gill, come back and join me anytime. At Financial Check out his book when it comes out. We'll be promoting the shit out of it. He'll be a guest, not a host. Uh, once that book is done. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Love you, brother. Love you too. See you soon. Thank you.
The incredible Rob Gill, check him out, follow him. He's a great follow. I love watching his videos. It makes proud. And a big shout out to Alexis. Uh, she just popped off. Anyway, we are all over the place. We will be in Utah at Silicon Slopes with Robin, <laughs> Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, Jim Quick, I just spoke to. We'll see him there. Gary V, everyone, David at Melter.com. Happy to give uh, a couple of VIP tickets if you want to email me and uh, join my text community. We're all over the world with Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Chicharito, Matt Higgins, all of the peeps that we have a community with. Come and join us, David at dmeltzer.com. Look forward to seeing you. Remember, most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow at Friday Trading. Thanks so much. Take care.